Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. Every breath that we take, may it be of you. God, may we be strengthened and encouraged by you this morning. We need you so deeply. God, we give you praise and we give you glory because you are our strength. You are the one who who gives us strength to stand, strength to sing, strength to give, strength to love. May it be your breath that flows in and through us. In your name, amen. Church, you may be seated. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Thanks for coming and, and being a part of what we have going on here. Because church just wouldn't be the same without you. Just so you know, like you are valuable, each and every person. It just wouldn't be the same. So I'm happy that you're here. We're all happy that you're here. I want to invite our ushers to come forward because we have another opportunity to continue worshiping and continue giving because we're not done yet. God's still got great things for this service and things to go beyond this service as well. And so this is our time where we can give our tithe and our offerings. And this is just another way to worship the Lord with what he's given us. And so we want to worship, again, not just on a Sunday morning, but we want to worship throughout the week. And God uses our tithes and our offerings to bless this church and the ministries that this church supports and the community that this church is in. That's what our tithes and our offerings do. It, it's, a, it's a praise to God and a worship to him throughout the week to see what he's going to do and how he's going to bless some people that we may never meet, people that we may never shake their hands, but God is through what we give. So we give faithfully because we believe in, in what God can do with, with this offering. We believe that he can multiply it, that he can use it, and that he can go beyond just our sphere of influence. So church, let's pray this morning as we give that God would um, touch every corner of this, this city. God, I thank you for every person here, and I thank you for their faithfulness to worship you in song, to worship you in giving. And God, I pray that you would continue to, to move beyond um, even just the, the, the pennies and nickels and dimes and dollars that we give, God, but your love would be extended through it, that your love would be extended into all the different ministries out in this community, God, all the different spheres of people that are being touched by it. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we pray that you would bless this offering as we are faithful back to you. In your name, amen. And if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade, you may meet me at the door out there. Please don't run into the kids' room yet. Stay with Kara. She'll, she'll wrangle all of you. <laughs> Go with this big kid, would you please? Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad for the team we have here? I really am. I'm thrilled with all of the people that God has brought around us, and we're excited for what the Lord is doing. You know, I was thinking about Trunk or Treat last year. I think every child in this community came through our parking lot. And, uh, you know, I just, I just love feeding kids sugar to keep their moms and dads up. I just think that's so cool. And if I had kitties, I'd give them one each one. I just would do that just to, not because I'm really that fond of kitties, but I just think, it, you know, never mind. It's, a, it's good. It's very good. Um, before we, before we um, share the word this morning, though, this week <clears throat> we received word that Pastor Brian Fitch went to be with Jesus. And um, 
I love Brian, and I know you as well. And for Lorene and for the kids, uh, what a tough thing. In fact, his daughter was married yesterday in Seattle. and So it was a, a very big emotional moment for that family. And I think it would be just very fitting and appropriate for us to take a moment to remember the Fitch family today. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And he's excited about Brian being with him. But there's a lot here that are sad that he's gone. And even though we know we're going to see him again, uh, these are moments that I think it's important for the family of Christ to stand with the family. Amen. So I know that your extension of of your concern and your love and prayers for them will be much appreciated in any way you can uh, offer that to Lorene and to the kids. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that a, a valiant warrior is in your presence. And I can hear him singing <laughs> above all the rest today. And for that, we're thankful because we, we have this hope. We know without hesitation, that he's in your presence. But that absence is a difficult thing for his family. And we, we hold them dearly before you today. That, Father, you would just come and bring strength and, and, and encouragement, encourage them, uh, prop them up, if you will, today. Let your presence be upon them in a very significant way. And, Lord, we're going to give you thanks for that. We love Brian. We thank you for his ministry of faithfulness here in this community for so many years. And just pray that you will continue to keep your hand upon that precious family today in Jesus' name. And everybody can say, amen. amen. My, my voice is kind of running low. Could I get some hot water? <clears throat> you know, I'm the only windmill you know that's running water. And uh, I need a, <clears throat> a little extra this morning. I guess I gave it a little extra punch in the first service, so we're... If you want the same punch, bear with me, amen. Uh, just, just a couple things, though, that I do want to remind you of. One, the shoebox ministry is so powerful. We want to break what we did last year. And so please uh, get some of those boxes. There's some in a foyer. There's down in the, uh, in the fellowship hall. Grab those. Let's get as many of those filled up and back here as we possibly can. Amen. Oh, that was a most mimic amen. Come on, you mean amen? amen? All right, so everybody's going to take three. And uh, secondly, uh, you know, we have an adult class that meets during our first service, and it's a wonderful time of teaching, and if, uh, you know, we don't always advertise that, but it would be a great place if you want some additional teaching, and they're, they're doing a video series called uh, Why I Believe, and it's a very powerful series, and if you... Uh, you know, you can bring anybody you want to that class. It's, I think, something that anybody and everyone could be, be benefited by. And so, please, take advantage of that. We'll be sharing a little bit more about that as we, as we continue. This morning, this, this is a message. It's kind of a standalone message. As I shared with the first service, uh, I'm preaching to the preacher, and you get to eavesdrop. Thank you. Um, I don't know how it works for you, but I have been very, very concerned about the tenor and the divisiveness that's happened in our country. 
I'm very concerned about that. I'm troubled by that. I think, I think if we are people of any kind of, have any kind of sensitivities at all, all of us should be concerned about the tenor and the direction that it's taken. I share that only to say this, that I truly believe, and, and I want you to hear me, I'm convinced that the, that the, that the majority of things that have happened in this country that are bad can be directly placed at the feet of the church. And I'll tell you why I believe that. I believe the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and I will answer their prayers and heal their land. If we, do we believe that? Then why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? If we truly believe that, why don't we take more time to pray? Why? And, and this is a challenge to me. This, this is something the Lord has really been, really, he bludgeoned me good this week. Why aren't you praying more? And I, I began to really ponder that. I think, I think a lot of times we pray, but we pray almost antithetically. We pray as though it's almost something we do. I want to share with you something the Lord has really spoken to me about today. Because I believe that we have not only the mandate to pray, but we have the authority to pray, and we have a God that hears and answers prayer. I, I read in 1 Timothy 2, it says, therefore I exhort first of all, notice how he says that, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In verse 2 it says, for kings, we don't have a king for presidents, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Amen. Prayer changes things. Then why don't we pray? I, I honestly think there's somewhat of a misunderstanding of theology. Theology is a nice word, and sometimes we, we hear that. We really... Uh, but let me break it down to you. It's two Greek words. It's a compound word. Theo, meaning God. And logia, which means teaching. It means instruction. It means hearing the speech of. When, when you take any class in school, uh, if you took ichthyology, you'd be studying fish. If you took hematology, you would be studying the dynamics of the blood flow of the body. If you took all of these, anything in that concept of ology, you're studying the dynamics of theology, we're studying God. But we're not just studying God in a broad spectrum. We're studying him in his character. Yeah. Please hear that. There are all kinds of, quote, gods. They don't have a capital G in their title. 
They're the gods that we make gods in our world. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a foolishness to, to worship anything other than God Almighty. But, but the God that we serve has given to us some wonderful privileges. This, this concept of studying him is studying his attributes, his characteristics, his, what, who, who he is. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about, you know, some people think God's in a bad mood. Always in a bad mood. He's got a migraine all the time. That's not the God that I see in the Bible. Yes, there are times when God is very upset. And yes, there's times when God will pour out his wrath. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But generally speaking, God, his character is merciful and loving and gracious. And, and when we speak about that being his character, that's not just a, an attribute of him. He is. God is love. I mean, he doesn't just have it. He is love. He is peace. He is long-suffering. You, you, you catch the difference? I might, I might have the attribute, but I can't say that I am love. My wife could tell you. Yeah. I want to be loving. I, I want that. I'm striving for that. But sometimes, sometimes some other things come out. guy flies up in front of you and jerks right in front of you and cuts you off and how loving are you? <laughs> to the moon! You know, just wish you had a tank and run right over him for the glory of God. How loving is that? Okay. But the result of this of misunderstanding actually causes us to pray less when we don't understand who he is, when we can begin to understand who he is, oh, I tell you what, it would help you to be able to want to be in his presence, want to, to speak to him, want to hear him. There are two words. They're theological words, but they're really big words. One of them is the sovereignty of God. That's a, that's a powerful word. And too often, using that word, people blame God for things that happen in this world and our lives that God had absolutely nothing to do with. September 11, 2001, 19 crazed men flew planes into buildings and into fields and killed over 3,000 people. God had nothing to do with that. But people want to blame God. Listen to the word sovereign. It comes from a compounded word meaning, and it break, I'll break it down, sove, meaning supreme. And then reign, sovereign. Reign means exactly that. He has jurisdiction. He has authority. He is the supreme ruler. He is the supreme one that reigns. Do you catch that concept? This is who he is. He is in complete control. He has complete authority. But he gave the stewardship of that to you and me. When, when God created this world, 
And I believe that he is that master designer that created this world. It didn't just happen by some cataclysmic explosion of whatever. God created. He was the brilliant mind behind it. When he created it and he placed in this world Adam and Eve, he gave them stewardship responsibility for this world. He created it and then he said to Adam and Eve, you're now responsible for this world. We're responsible for the, for the, the creation that he's given us. He, it's a wonderful thing, a huge responsibility. But Adam and Eve, because of foolishness and sin, abdicated that stewardship and literally gave it to Satan. So that Satan has been in control of this world. Follow me. I want to share with you something that is important, and I'm going to lay out a principle that's found in the book of Jeremiah, and we can see it in various other places, but there's, there's a principle here that I want you to see. Jeremiah chapter 32, it says, then Hanamel, my uncle's son, this is Jeremiah's cousin that he's speaking about, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours. The right of inheritance is yours. And the redemption is yours. Two separate dynamics. Buy it for yourself. Jeremiah's father apparently had died, leaving his mom a widow. And she sold property to Jeremiah's father's brother, Hananiah's father, so that she would have adequate funds to simply be able to live. According to Judaic custom and Hebrew custom, which is still very similar today, when God brought the children of Israel into the land of Israel, he divided the land through the, the lineage of, of the tribes. And in the tribe of Benjamin, that piece of property that he, that he carved out for the tribe of Benjamin, of which Jeremiah's family were a part, that land was carved into separate pieces according to families. And Jeremiah's family owned this piece of property. And it was a sealed deed. It would always be theirs. That's the unique thing about what's happening in Israel today. It is not owned by the Palestinians. It's not owned by the Jordanians. It's not owned by the Syrians. It's not owned by the Egyptians. It is the property right given by God to Israel as a nation. But God gave this property and it's sealed. It was sealed. When, when Hananiah's family died, it would immediately and automatically revert back to Jeremiah's family. But until that point in time, Jeremiah could buy that property back because not only was it a seal deed, but he was the firstborn in his family and he had what's called redemptive rights. He had the right of the firstborn to go back and say, I want to buy back properties that belong to my family. You catch the principle. It was a sealed deed. It was theirs by divine 
uh, fiat. God gave them that property. Secondly, that property could be sold, but it could be brought back by the redemptive right of the firstborn. Follow this. Adam and Eve lost this. Lost the stewardship of this world. And all of the governments that, that have ensued through that period of time. It's sealed. It belonged to God. We belong to God. This world belongs to God. Adam and Eve abdicated that. Gave it to Satan. Jesus Christ. The firstborn. Came to the cross. And through the cross. Claimed the right of redemptive power. To claim back. What was sold and given. To the enemy. You got to hear this. When Jesus was. Taken in Matthew 4, and he's out in the, in, in the wilderness. Satan comes to Jesus, and he says, look at all these kingdoms. They belong to me. Jesus did not correct him. Because they did. They were abdicated through the foolish stewardship of Adam and Eve. But God said, I am going to give back to you what was the sealed deed. And now through Jesus Christ, the firstborn and only begotten of God, who had the redemptive right, the only one that had the redemptive right to come back and claim back what was rightfully God's, Jesus, when he went to the cross, sealed that deal. Glory to God. Now, you've got to hear this. Because this is, this is all part of this concept of the sovereignty. God, in his graciousness, did all of these things for us. In Revelation chapter 5, it says, verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. This is the redemptive gift of God. This is the sealed deed that, that I've been speaking about that is speaking universally of this world and every soul and every spirit in this world. God sealed that. Do you know that it is the mandate and will of God that none would perish but that all have eternal life? It is not the will of God that some perish and go to hell. That is not God's will. Hyper-Calvinism says that there are some that are born to go to hell. That is not the heart, nor is it the plan of God. God's plan is that none would perish, that none would go to, the, to hell itself. Hello? Yeah, you can say amen louder than that. Because this is the will of God. God does not want people perishing. He doesn't. That's why he sent his son into this world. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Man. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed, hath prevailed. He prevailed to open the scroll. He's the only one that can. He's the only one that could, and he did it. When he went to the cross, he claimed redemptive right to take back this world out of the hand of hell. 
Verse 7, then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Catch that. Your prayers outlast and outlive you. When we pray to our Father, he hears our prayers. He holds those prayers. They're precious to him. Every tear that you shed over the hurt and the brokenness of people around you, he knows those tears. He has collected those tears. Those tears are held as a statement, as a memorial to him of your broken heart for them. And they sang a new song. Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we, and we, and we shall reign. Our world doesn't tell us that. And a lot of theologians haven't told us that. I was raised in a, in, in, in a, 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 a structure that, quite frankly, the things of the miraculous have ceased. That God doesn't do those kinds of things anymore. That he doesn't heal. That he doesn't deliver. That he does. What foolishness. First of all, you're looking at an antithetical dynamic to that whole concept. I am a miracle. You're a miracle. Because God saved us and delivered us and helped us. Jesus redeemed us out of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. Hallelujah. Here's where the sovereignty of God helps us to pray. People say, well, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. No. God gave us authority, and we lost that authority to Satan. Jesus, the firstborn son, came back and bought it back and gave it back to us. So that I now have that authority. It's not just a whimsical thing. It's not just a hopeful thing. It's not something that I just make. No, God gave you and me the authority to come into the throne room. He says, approach me with boldness. Come into my... He's given us invitation in the book of Hebrews to come boldly into the throne room of God. I can come into his throne room. I can come into his presence and I can ask him whatsoever... He put no limitation. He didn't say you can ask this, this, and this, but forget this. Whatsoever you ask in my name. Whatsoever you ask in my name. I'm praying that God somehow brings civility back into the uncivilized nature of our nation. I'm praying that God would somehow bring, bring compassion and heart In our nation, I pray that God would bring wisdom beyond anything any human being would know into the leadership of our nation. 
and get the church off of its amazing grace and on its face in the presence of God to believe God and to intercede and to believe God for the miraculous once again. Can you say amen to that? When Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church, he said it this way, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail again. Doesn't mean it won't attack. They just won't. He will not be able to prevail. The enemy may come against us, but he will not win. The enemy may attack, but he is not going to conquer. The enemy may attack your life, but he will not win. Because he says it's my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on. He doesn't leave it there. He says, and, and, and whatsoever you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want you to know that heaven will be in agreement with people who will come before the throne of God and recognize that yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he rules, but he's given to us the responsibility to stand in the gap, if you will, and pray and believe. Hallelujah. The reason to pray is because of the sovereignty of God. Please hear that because he is, he is the one and only that can do something about it. Remember this. When you pray, you're not just praying to the air. You're praying to the supreme ruler of the universe. And he's given you the, the, the invitation to come into his presence. Hallelujah. Oh, that, 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 Lord, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. There's another theological term. It's called the, immutab- the immutability of God. Again, a compound word. You know I'm a wordsmith. These things kind of... The word mutability means change. We get the word mutate from this word. It means to change. It means to... To take on a form. But when you put I am in front of immutability, immutability, it cancels that. It means literally change less. Well, God can't change. Malachi says, I am the Lord God and I change not. We, We thank God for that. We, we look at those passages and we're, we're grateful. James says, in every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, meaning he doesn't change. But where we get it all messed up is this. That's speaking about his character. His character will never change. His grace will never change. His compassion will never change. His loving kindness will never change. His mercy will never change. That's what's unchangeable. But God can change his mind. (gasps) Let me show you. In fact, I could show you several passages on that. There are instance after instance where God did, in fact, change his mind. 
when his people prayed. In the book of Exodus chapter 32, Moses is going up on the Mount of Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. On his way up there, the children of Israel slipped into idolatry. They made a golden calf. They took all of their gold and all of the goodies, and they, they made this golden calf. They, they, they slipped into idolatry. I'm going to tell you what that did. It really ticked God off. You don't want to ever have him say, don't make me come down there. I mean, this, this, was, this was tough. This was, this was such enmity. The idea of, of, listen, he took them out of bondage. He took care of every situation. He, he took care of all of their clothing needs. He took care of all of their travel. He gave them air conditioning in, in, a, in, in the heat of the desert. He gave them a cloud. He gave them fire at night to warmth. He gave them food and water. He took care of every. He stood back every enemy that would come against them. He opened the Red Sea when there was no way to go. He opened a way for them to go. And they come with this attitude. ungrateful, selfish bunch of little pigeon. Oh, I tell you, God was mad. How ungrateful, how, how beneath God were they in this sense. And so Moses is coming up and he's, he's concerned and, and, and God, God says, now therefore, let me alone. Moses, I've made up my mind. My wrath hath burned hot against them, and I that I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. God had in mind to wipe out the children of Israel because of ingratitude, because of idolatry, because of all of the foolishness that they'd entered into. Then Moses pleaded. You know what he did? He prayed. He pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. If you take the word relent Remove the L and put in a P. It says what? Repent. We have the idea to repent means repent from sin. And it can be used that way. But repent simply means a change of mind. A change of mind. Of the 140 plus times this word in the Hebrew is used in the Old Testament, 41 times... It's used as repent. It's interchangeable. God repented. 
Whoa, that just, that, you just know you just lost me there. Follow me. He didn't repent from sin. He changed his mind. He changed his mind because one believer came before him with a heart and a passion. And God answered the prayer of a passionate heart. Wow. That's not enough. How many of you remember Jonah? What a turkey. <laughs> he was a prophet. God used him. And God spoke to him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to, re to preach to them that if they don't repent in 40 days, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And Jonah says, not in your life. And he gets passage and goes to, where did he go to? He went the other way. <laughs> Brain freeze. Okay. He went to Tarshish. All right. He went to Tarshish. That's 180 degrees from Nineveh. And you know the story. The, the, the ship comes into a storm and everybody gets scared and they pitch him over and a fish takes him and he's inside a fish's gullet for three days and you know, a wayward prophet even makes a sick fish, or fish sick, and he heaves him up. And it's, I, Can you imagine what that would have looked like? Can you imagine, first of all, I mean, I'm a fisherman. I can't even imagine a fish big enough to, cons to hold, to take, and I can't, I'd love to catch that fish. <laughs> but here he is in the entrails of this fish for three days. I imagine he's somewhat bleached and wrinkled and not the most savory person to be around. And I bet he came out and he had strands of seaweed and other critters. And I, I imagine when that fish belched him up on the beach, people saw him and, I mean, he looked like the living dead. He probably thought zombies really happened. And he goes into Nineveh. I mean, it probably was part of the reason that the Ninevites actually turned to God. Just a thought. <laughs> but he goes there. He, he repents. He says, okay, God, I'm going to go do it. And, but but you've got to understand, he didn't like the Ninevites. He hated them. It was almost as bad as the ducks and the dogs. I mean, it was just, it was just a bad thing. And not quite that bad, but, but almost. And so he goes there, and he doesn't preach with any compassion. He preaches with a desire. God is going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And I'm glad. This is kind of the way he did it. And, and guess what? They repented. And then he's really ticked off. He was a racist. He was a bigot. He was mean-spirited. He had no love and compassion in him. Can you imagine that? But here's the key. God gave them the opportunity. This is the end result. You don't change. This is what's going to happen. They changed. They repented. They turned to God. And God relented of his edict. Please hear this this morning. If we truly believe 
that our nation needs to change. If we truly believe that there needs to be a discourse that's honorable and, and gracious. If we truly believe that people are precious in the sight of God, then they must be precious in our sight as well. Please hear me. What we can do with people is we can make them other. And we can other people. They don't look like us. They don't behave like us. They're other than us. Which puts us into a position of superiority. We're better than Oh, really, if God were to open up the closet in every one of our life, it would be ugly. If the dark secrets that we hold in our life were placed on a canvas for the world to see, we would hide in shame. Everyone would hide in shame. How dare we make somebody else another? Jesus came for the whosoever. And none of us are better than any of the whosoever. Because we're all part of the whosoever. We're all sinners in need of a savior. We're all men and women who desperately need God's help. We're all desperately lost without a savior. We can categorize people we can name them, we can label them, we can call them this, we can call them that. But Jesus simply says, they're my children. You've got to hear this preacher this morning. Because this idea of classifying people in categorizing them and, 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 and making some better than others, that has to stop and it must stop in the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody asked me, who's welcome in your church? Whosoever. I can't think of a better place to be for any person, any place, any way, whether they're, whatever their background, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their gender, whatever that means anymore. Seriously, folks, people are in confusion today. When they're in that kind of confusion, do you understand what that breaks the heart of God? And they're in a confusion because the enemy of, of our soul has lied and lied and lied. And people have bought into the distortion of the lie. We don't categorize people by male, female, by white, black, or any other color. We we. We classify people as the whosoever. We classify people as part of the human race. We're part of a family united. Yes, we're different. Yes, we think different. I can tell you that my wife and I think different. I'm male, she's female. That's just enough right there. But church... <laughs> and viva la difference. <laughs> point of what I'm trying to tell you, church, is this. We have been given, I hope you hear this, we have been given the title deed of heaven to be the answer to the needs of a world around us. We have the right and privilege to walk into the throne room of God, the superhuman, supernatural 
potentate of heaven that has all answers, all authority, and all ability. And we can come into his presence and he will hear us. God said to Ezekiel, I have sought for a man who would stand in the gap, who would make up the hedge, who will stand and plead for my people. I have sought for that one that I should not destroy, but I found none. We need to pray. I've got grandsons that need God. I've got family members that need God. I've got family members that need divine healing. My brother-in-law today needs a miracle of God. I'm dealing with families and marriages that need God. I'm dealing in a community that needs God. And we have the privilege. Oh, church, you got to hear this. We have the privilege of being the one to stand in the gap on the behalf of our kids and our grandkids and our family members. George Mueller. George Mueller was an incredible man. He, he was an ungodly man. He served, did a vile thing in his life. He, he did not serve God for many years. And then God, he, kind of like, like the author of Amazing Grace, he he, he came, he had an encounter with God, recognized that he needed God, recognized how vile his life was, and God saved him, cleaned him up. And, and Mueller went to, went to school to become a missionary, but he went to the board after he got finished with his schooling, and they said, because of your vile life, we cannot use you. Mueller prayed for one year. He went to a community felt that he was to go to this community and he went and he came to this church and he asked, is the pastor of the church here? And he said, no, he, we're without a pastor. He said, well, I've just finished my studies at, at a missionary training school and I, I came here to speak to the pastor and he said, you're going to be the next pastor. <laughs> he created Bristol orphanages that that were raised up by by merely prayer. He would pray and God would bring in, in, in that little church, back in that day, before the turn of the last century, that church prayed in, that man prayed in over $7 million. To get you an idea, the Louisiana purchase was $14 million. And he prayed in $7 million for orphanages. He had 52 men that the Lord laid on his heart. He prayed for every one of those men. There was one man when Mueller died that had not come to Jesus. But when they buried George Mueller, that man was at his graveside and he knelt on his knees by an open grave and gave his life to Jesus. Prayer is a powerful thing. I want you to stand with me this morning. You hear me share this passage because it's, it's so ingrained in my soul. I believe it. You know, seven years ago, last Sunday, we began a journey here in Florence. 
And we didn't know what that journey was going to be. We, we didn't think it was going to be a long-term thing. We just thought it was going to be something rather short. We didn't know it was going to be a long thing. We just came to be an interim. But God had a plan. And as we prayed, God has been faithful to do some things. I look at 300 people on a given Sunday morning. I'm humbled by that. But I believe it's because of prayer. I believe it's because of your prayer. Not my prayer altogether, but the corporate prayer of people. How many of you have kids that need Jesus? How many of you have family members that need Jesus? How many of you have some big miracle needs in your home? Hear me, church. Our God still answers prayer. We're praying to the supreme ruler of the universe. His character has never changed. He is still loving and merciful and gracious. But his mercies, they're there. And the Holy Spirit can speak into the heart and into the life. And he can bring to memory into the heart and the life of people. He can bring to memory the heart and soul of where people have been. Lost a friend a number of years ago. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He was the highest ranking prisoner of war in that, in that war. Raised in Assemblies of God Church. Went into the military. Rose in rank. In that six by nine foot cell. Isolated many times in the dark without any companionship. I said, Robbie, how did you make it? He said, I prayed. And the Holy Spirit would bring back into my memory lessons that I learned in Sunday school. Would bring back thoughts of messages that I heard in the pulpit. Bring back to me, because they didn't have a Bible. He said, bring back to me the, the, the memory of passages of Scripture. And he says, the Word of God, those lessons from the Word kept my mind. I believe in prayer. And I believe that we can pray for our family members. So the question who will be the gap standers? Who will stand in the gap for your kids? Will you? Please hear this. You're not talking to, to a God that's in an empty space. I believe that God, if I could give you a visual, he's leaning over the balustrades of heaven and he's listening. And all he wants to hear is, Father, please save my kids. Touch their hearts. I believe he's straining to hear us. Won't we pray? Jesus, you hear our heart today for our country, for our children, for the church, 
not just this church, but God, every church in this town, oh God, would you bring a heaven-bathing presence of your spirit into every pulpit, put a fire in the belly of every preacher that would share the word uncompromising. And Father, bring a boldness, a holy boldness that would bring about your word in, and the power of conviction to speak to the hearts of people. That, Father, we are not an accident. We didn't just arrive here. You created us for a purpose. You have something in store for every family. I pray for every marriage, every life, every, every child, every parent, every grandparent, that, Father, they will all become part of the whosoever and that they will come to know the Savior. Grant incredible, exceeding wisdom beyond any human capacity to those that lead us for our president, for Congress, for our, our governor and for our legislature, for our mayor and city council. Father, for all of those who have any sense of authority, I'm asking, Father, a God-breathed, overwhelming, powerful move of your spirit that will bring conviction into their hearts and draw them back into the presence of God. As your word says that we could live peaceable lives. Father, we know you can do it. Help us to do our part. Help us to get involved and not be passive. Help us to make our votes known when we need to do so. Help us to pray, oh God, every day on behalf of our children and our family. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. And we'll give you praise. And all of God's people can say, Amen. May God bless you. You may be seated as we come before the Lord's table together today. Those that are prepared to help us, would you please come? Sing that with me, would you? Amazing grace, how sweet. 
writes, For I received what I am about to deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, said, Eat this as you would in remembrance of me. And afterwards he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you would in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What a wonderful thing. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming again? And how many of you are grateful that he's coming again? May I just simply ask you, and I'm grateful that he's coming again, but I hope it's tomorrow because there's still a whole lot of people that need him today. You understand what I'm saying? But he is going to come as a thief in the night. May we be prepared. Oh, God, help us to be more equipped and to touch more people. Amen. Pastor Jeff. Has everyone been served that would like to be served? We just don't want to make, we want to make sure no one misses out. Um, Cool. Um, I'm thankful in Galatians 4 that it says, that Christ came and, and that we are adopted as his children. We are his heirs. And so um, would you hold up the, the cracker that, that represents the body of Christ with me this morning and, and just proclaim, can we do this together? Can we say this together? I'm a part of the body. Can we do it? There we go. We are a part of his body. We are part of his family. Not, not by um, resemblance, but by his love for us. And that changes our hearts. A couple weeks ago, I got to meet with my family and my siblings. And my sister lives in the L.A. area. And her and her husband adopted um, a boy and a girl that are siblings from the foster care system there. And it was the most beautiful thing to see them run to their parents and say, Mommy, Daddy, I love you. Their whole lives, they've been bounced from home to home to home, never knowing that, never having stability. And so for them to call out, Mommy, Daddy, I love you, that is us, friends. That in the midst of, of our mistakes, in the midst of, of the human condition that plagues our hearts and the tension that we face daily, His love and His grace abounds. That while we were still sinners, Christ became sin. That we might become righteous and right in His eyes. And so, yes, we celebrate the fact that Christ was broken for our wholeness. That we could be a part of the family of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you.
for your sacrifice. We thank you that we are adopted, God. Not because we resemble righteousness where we were, but because your love is great. And because of your love, we can call on you as our Father. We can walk forward in the confidence that you hear us when we speak. And we can take hold of the claim of our inheritance that we are the stewards of this world. We will steward the call on our lives, God, to go into every nation, to our backyard, to our neighborhood, to our schools, to our, our homes, and proclaim your goodness. God, may we resemble you in a greater capacity. May your love, God, mark our hearts. Mark our speech. God, may we be driven to our knees to pray, to seek you, God, to humble ourselves. May our hearts be broken for what's broken, what breaks yours. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Paul tells us that the cup is a new covenant. Interesting word, covenant. Hebrew word for it is karat. And it means to break covenant, to make covenant. And the way that worked was they would take a calf, they would slaughter it, They would cut it in two and they would separate the halves. And then they would take and walk between the halves. It's called cut covenant, karat. Jesus was the sacrifice. We have the privilege of a new covenant. It's not the old, it's not based and built on performance based and built on relationship. Pastor said it so well. We've been adopted. We're in the family. What a privilege it is to be a part of that family. Father, what a beautiful day it is to know that we celebrate and serve a risen Savior. You didn't have to come into this world, Jesus, and yet you did. You certainly didn't have to look in favor upon my life, but you did. You care about us. You've written an eternal edict. You've placed the most precious gift of all in the hands of people. We have the privilege, what a privilege, to purposefully serve you. Before we receive this element, let me ask you this. We're all imperfect. We've all stumbled. We've all failed. But do you have have this privileged assurance 
that he loves you. That he's willing to forgive you. That he's willing to help you. Because, friend, that's the most amazing grace there is. That's the covenant relationship that he's given. And if you haven't been where you know you should be, right now is a time to simply say, Jesus, please, forgive me, help me, heal me, lead me. Because I need you right now. In Jesus' name.